of internet Jesus. What the fuck? My name is Matthew Kroll. And that arm is mint. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Black Phone. The Black Phone. Have you ever had a black telephone? All my phones have been beige. Oh, interesting. You know, I'm thinking of the dial-up rotary telephones, which again is showing our age in that we remember those phones. No, I'm actually going to show my age slightly younger, but still older for everyone listening. I had a black cordless phone. Huh. A touch-tone cordless phone. That also, coincidentally, talked to dead people. Oh, right. Well, there you go. I mean, that's that was kind of one of the key features of 1980s telephones. Uh, I think we, so. <laughs> I think so. Uh, I, uh, Matt, how are you? I, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm sitting in a dark room with a skeleton behind me. I feel like I'm thematically appropriate for what we're about to talk about. Yeah. Um, just really, really gearing up. For an, an odd cinematic landscape, I feel like coming down the line. I, so something that comes out this weekend that I'm low key hyped for. Uh, we're recording Loki. No, no, no. That I'd be low key, low key hyped for that. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, Bullet Train. Yes. This, we're recording this on Tuesday, the second of August. Um, and Bullet Train, I think, comes out this coming weekend. Yep. I'm pretty sure. Yep. I'd love to do it on the podcast. I'm so curious if it's. I, I feel like it's going to be middle of the road, but yeah. like there's something in the advertising and the first trailer I saw that like really drew me in. Is it a Chad Stahelski flick? The I think so. Don't yeah, I want to say the first director. Uh, no, no, it's David Leach, the other the other director right. of uh, the John Wick series. Uh, there's a little bit of controversy around this particular book because it was originally. A Japanese uh, yes. book with Japanese characters, and it has been westernized in some way. I don't, I don't know if that's uh, how big a deal that is, what that's going to do to it. Um, but also, uh, Brad Pitt in a leading man action role, which I don't think we've seen in him, except for maybe Mr. and Mrs. Smith is the one yeah. that comes to mind. And that was more of a co-lead, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, so, I think uh, it'll be fun. I'm curious, but also coming out this week uh, that I'm excited for is Dan Trachtenberg's uh, Prey, which is a Predator prequel, uh, which is oddly uh, going straight to Hulu, so it's going to be very accessible for everyone to see. I heard very good things about it. Uh, I'm excited for that as well. I think... I'm I, I it's it's the first thing I feel like that's like new and interesting in that universe in a minute. So of like course, I think everything I, every everything about that universe has been terrible apart from the first movie, right? Um, I, here I, I mean I we can go back to the, uh, look at our uh, our our review of the Predator. I think yeah. it was called or Predator. I, I I never remember which one is the the and which one's the not. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I look back on that most recent Predator, and it's not good, but I remember <laughs> liking it. Like, I had fun, at least, I think. I'd love to listen to that episode and have me prove myself wrong. But, like, I, in my brain right now, I was like, yeah, it was doofy. I recall, and this will be this will be a bigger conversation, was that I recall your thing was for that movie um, that you enjoyed the experience of going to see it because you went to see it with good friends. Yes. And it reminded you of that kind of experience. Yes. Um, That's which, probably what I'm grasping desperately yeah, grasp, for. If there's any straws to grasp at, your friends are the ones. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot coming out. Uh, I I, uh, I know our friend Liam Bellingham is about to do a series on Eric Holmer, uh-huh. which I would be interested in catching up on some films. Well, I, like, I feel like I'm, I, I have just been out of the loop recently a little bit, and I want to catch up on uh, non- 
mainstream movies, but it is summer in America, so that is kind of what is to preoccupy, you know, taking up our time. Um, but uh, I guess we'll see how we go. Um, one thing I wanted to point out is uh, this was this movie for me was kind of an interesting one because I am currently at a uh, at a friend's house, and through some uh, uh, exchange of circumstances, I am at this friend's house entirely by myself. Um, and this friend's house is in the countryside, so it's very isolated. And I have learned a few things about myself in terms of in terms of what my comfort zones are. Are those circumstances murder? Uh, they aren't murder. They involve oh, okay. a tennis camp, <laughs> of all things. And uh, murder? A tennis camp murder. Uh, yeah. That would be interesting. Uh, no, it's just it's just, uh, just the way the situation has worked out. Uh, uh, for a few days, I am on my own in this house, uh, a la Jack Torrance in The Shining. What and color is the phone? Uh, the f- there is no telephone. Oh wow. <laughs> There well, I mean, no I guess that's more that's more regular now <laughs> than than it used to be. Um, so my experience of watching Scott Derrickson's The Black Phone was I was kind of primed for it because I was like, OK, I'm in a home by myself, uh, isolated. This is about, you know, a horror movie about a kidnapping. This is, this is going to be good, right? You're also <laughs> stuck in 1978. <laughs> I and am boy, totally- oh boy, is the color grading going to keep reminding you of that? Or at least what our specific idea of what 1978 looked like. Do you remember that movie Frequency uh, with Jim Caviezel no. and uh, Dennis Quaid? <laughs> no. Where uh, uh, they basically live in the same house, but they uh, they have a transistor radio, but one of them is in the past and one of them is in the present. Whoa. And they can just talk to each other through past and present. And they, they can leave each other notes and things like that. Dope. Uh, yeah, it's, a good, it's, a, it's an interesting idea for a movie. That's kind of what you and I are doing. I guess. Yeah, because technically, I mean, one of us. So spoiler alert uh, for this podcast. One of us is dead. Oh, Um, shit. And and so we but we don't know which one. And we're only going to find out if we can successfully glean all of the life lessons from the film, uh, The Black Phone. There was another, there's a Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock movie called The Lake House. Oh, I remember well. The Lake House. Yeah, where they the could Lake leave House. each other messages in the mailbox, yeah. I think it was. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also a Korean film by the name of Phylon, which is excellent. Uh, also there's also <laughs> some really weird, uh, there's a podcast called Mysterious Universe. Uh, okay. It's by two Australian guys. It's been going on for fucking ever, and I pop in and out. It's one of my, like, podcast that I like forget about but I've easily listened to for like eight years right (laughs) um and they had a story on it's all paranormal stuff and they had a story on there about a about a uh a group a family that had a old uh computer from like 1986 or some some like it was like an apple 2e or like some I I don't even know the exact thing but they would they would get and they did like the first like it never got connected to a phone line, but there'd always be new files on it, what? like writing to them from what they considered the past that was like someone write. Like there's a whole weird thing in it. It's not like it was the most believable story, but mm. it like the way that they told it, I was like, this is going to make this would make such a good fucking movie. Right. Like, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, anyway, communication uh, devices. They're communication creepy device. because here's the thing. Here's the thing about communication devices. We take them all for fucking granted. And the second that they do something a little off from their standardized tasks, we kind of get weirded out. Like, it's it's kind of an odd psychological thing where we're so used to the system just working that even on a tech glitch, we're like, what the fuck? Is that a ghost? So, like... 
so for example, if someone wrote us an email at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and it came from the, it, it told us something about the future, right. that would be weird, right? That would be weird. If only <laughs> that existed somewhere, but I mean, that would never happen. That would never happen. Instead, what would happen is we get emails from people who are writing in about movies that we have talked in the past, like this first one from Gareth. Yeah. We haven't heard from Gareth in a while. We loved uh, loved Gareth writing into us, so uh, appreciate it. I think the last time... I remember a very famous email uh, to that responded to... A very episode. famous email? A very famous email uh, that responded to... <laughs> because Andrew Schultz... It was in relation to Andrew Schultz, who is now uh, blowing up the spot. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, Infamous, uh, baby. Yeah, yeah, with, uh, with his new uh, special Infamous, which I actually watched. And it is fantastic, by the way. He is... A, mm-hmm. he, I, I he is, we're going on a lot of tangents. Just, we are going on a lot of tangents. He is an excellent writer. Uh, yeah, Andrew, delivery is perfect as well. But he is. An, he, there are and, a couple of jokes in there that I was like, that is some great writing and a good dude and a very good dude. Yes, Side note, because I know dude. a lot of his stuff is uh, edgy, and some people don't don't jive no, with it. But, but he, he's edgy. But he, like, he knows his. Audience. He knows it, and he's talented. And I got to now. I'm tangenting. I forget <laughs> yeah. if I brought this up. There was a time for about six months that I did stand up in New York City. It was when I was working on Guy Code and Schultz was the one who uh, like convinced me to do it, taught me a lot of interesting stuff, and taught me the most valuable lesson, uh, some really helpful stuff with the sort of scene on how to sort of break in. But yeah. the best lesson he taught me was, if you don't love this, if you don't like crave this like every night of your like waking life, like don't don't do it. Right. Like and 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 I he said try it for six months, and yeah. if you are not jonesing for your life to be like this, step away. Right. And I did because I didn't like it that much. Hmm. Um, and I was all right at it. I'm, I'll, I'll <laughs> say straight up, I was a solid five out of ten. Um, anyway, I, I've always appreciated that. He's he's just such a he's, he's a, a he's a, a good dude. And, and good dude. Yeah, like I um uh, he's a comedian's comedian as well. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like comedians appreciate how good he is at what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, check out Andrew Schultz's um, Infamous, which uh, hopefully you can buy. Um, I know there was like a limited run. There's a limited time. I don't know how it goes, but I'm yeah. sure. It'll, it'll, if, if not available at this very moment, uh, I'm sure it'll be back at some point somewhere. Uh, take it from me. I bought it. I'm very happy with my purchase. Nice. Um, Gareth, back to Gareth, who did write in last time. A very special email. A very special email to Andrew Schultz. Something that has been grinding my gears lately is what I'm calling the death of endings. And I seem to care about this more than anyone else I know. Since you're my go-to movie expert and literally the only podcast on the medium, I wanted to get your perspectives. I could be touching on something you've already discussed because like I've said, I've got a lot of catching up to do. (laughs) But here goes. I feel like this is happening since the popularization of the MCU and streaming services like Netflix, Netflix, Disney Plus, etc. I feel like we can't have real endings anymore. Everything has to end in a way that pitches the next season or movie to the publishers instead of wrapping up the story in a satisfying way. Sometimes these teasers, cliffhangers, I'm more interested in the film uh, season that you just watched. But the MCU is the worst offender when it comes to all of the pitching the next thing. The MCU's glory days were everything leading up to Endgame, and now I feel like they're just trying to capture the same lightning in a bottle every single time. These days, I feel it's not a single movie or Disney Plus series that will end without a post-credit scene implying that the villain is going to return, someone is going to take their place, or a new Thanos-level threat is rising, and when there were our sequels, half the time they have nothing to do with the teasers. Do you guys have any thoughts on this? Has it always been this bad, or have, and I've never noticed? Is the is this actually a new trend? Do you have any favorite examples, or terrible, or just undercut the endings for the sake of the next part of the series? Regards, Gareth. 
Matt, we've talked about this. We have. It's funny. I, I we, we got into a, a not a, not an argument. We weren't fighting, but I thought we actually, Gareth, I thought we read your email already, but we did not. <laughs> right. Um, but like we've talked about this quite a bit. I have a theory on the, so A, 100% agree, sucks, don't like it. Right. I have a theory as to why. Why it sucks or why? Why the MCU is starting to feel stale and why this constant march forward other than cadence um, is actually starting to grow cold and not quite working like the first 11 years lead up to Endgame. The reason why we didn't mind beforehand Mm -hmm. is because of the Infinity Stones. The story, the stories themselves, while like were wrapped around these MacGuffins that turned out to be the biggest MacGuffin in a villain character-driven story plot, like at, at the end of the line. Whereas before, it's just a MacGuffin for a movie, and it wraps up its story. And the only promise is, if you're kind of in the comic book, no, you know that the Infinity Gauntlet is coming, and if you're not, and then you get there, your mind's blown, because all these things are actually references to this big thing. But it wasn't ever, like, I feel, in that, in phase one, two, and three, it wasn't ever the full point. Right. Like, it was, it was icing as opposed to structure, mm. and now we don't even have that little bit of plot thread. And the very concept of the multiverse itself. Yeah, it lends itself to like, hey, yeah, we are consequence free. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like endings. Um, I think, case in point, Cowboy Bebop, one of the best series on the face of the fucking planet of any media, anytime, anywhere is wonderful because it's done. Um, stories need to end. Like, I'm very glad I know there's more comics, but like Buffy and Angel, they're done. Yeah. Like, it's Firefly done right like i don't know i just i really appreciate endings and marvel's never gonna give us one (laughs) like that's the truth i think everyone needs to kind of realize that we're never getting an ending Endgame was the closest we'll ever get secret war even will end the multiverse but it maybe i'll eat these words it'll be the best fucking movie on the face of the goddamn planet but like I cannot see me or audiences getting as hyped for Secret Wars, collapsing the multiverse into one multi into one universe again. I'll be happy that it did it, right. but I won't like be happy about the like. I don't know. They just announced uh, Phase Five, and is it? I believe Distan Critton, who directed Shang Chi, is directing Secret Wars or something oh, like that. Or or the Kang the, the, the oh, Kang one the first. Kang. Yeah, okay, what whatever. I yeah. Uh, we talked about this. Uh, I think my my uh, just to piggyback off of what Gareth's questions of favorites and least favorites. Um, I did think the Spider Man, uh, Far From Home ending annoyed me because it teased a bitter film than the one that we just watched, and that's that's a thing for me that I that bugs me. I like it because it. I liked that journey. It yeah. felt like that felt like weirdly enough. It's yeah. that's again the closest thing we'll get to an ending because mm-hmm. all it's I mean it essentially essentially <laughs> killed Peter Parker in a, in a way not like physically like a you know spoilers for uh, right. No Way Home. Uh but from a from a character standpoint everyone who knows him or loves him is no longer knowing him or loving him. Oh, uh, I I can't rem- honestly didn't I, like my no, interest it, has completely waned on this whole thing. Sure. And I did watch the third Spider-Man movie with just kind of like a, when is this going to be over? Kind of I thing. liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I yeah. liked it a lot. I, and uh, to, to the point where I actually don't feel confident talking to you about it because I don't, it didn't fair. make as, it, as much of an impression on me at all. 
Anyway, uh, endings are dead. Long live endings. I will uh, say this. Uh, uh, watch The Bear. I love The Bear, which is on Hulu right now. It's a, it's a show about um, a chef coming back to uh, his hometown in Chicago to run a diner. It has one of the most perfect endings where uh, I know there is going to be a second season. They've greenlit a second season. If the second season didn't exist, this would be a perfect ending. And that would be like, we don't need any more of these. I so, just like, yeah, I, that's great. I yep. love I love endings. I know Ted Lasso is going to have one more season and then it's done. Right. Because yeah. endings are good. You know what's better than one ending, Shahir? What's that? Two endings. <laughs> and that brings us to a email uh, from our friend Jacob, mm-hmm. who uh, actually talks about uh, some movies he watched twice, therefore seeing both endings. I am a master at segues. <laughs> Jacob, thank you so much for writing in. You say... Okay, first watch of Get Out, I thought was fine. On my second watch, I became convinced it was a thematic masterpiece. First watch of Us, I was convinced that Peel's second feature was a sprawling mess. Second watch was brought to euphoric tears. And guess what? The pattern may again repeat itself. I have just had my first watch of Nope. And, well, I enjoyed it and found it to be a very rich text, but it didn't excite, thrill, or terrify me the way that Peel's other films have. And I think I wanted it to. I felt moments that seemed to mirror other moments in Peel's films were there. Uh, a moment where a character's reaction is supposed to make you cheer for them and laugh for them at the same time due to how their natural how natural their reaction is. A moment where dread is building to a blistering visual crescendo. The moments were there, but they didn't just seem to land quite as well this time around. Though I totally do appreciate the swings that were taken. However, maybe Peel will do it again with Nope and ascend to greatness on my second watch. I definitely expect my metaphorical and thematic reading of the film to expand in an enjoyable way, but I don't think it will ultimately be quite as indelible. But I have been wrong twice. Best Jacob. Uh, Jacob, that's a very interesting take and and study. I almost wish, so now you've done, you've done it. You've left a cliffhanger for us. <laughs> um, I 100% get this. Uh, it, uh, if you listen to our episode on Nope, it did 100% work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did not work for her. Um, but maybe for the same reason. I, that, that's maybe. also another film I would be willing to give another swing. And, and you know, here's the thing about what I've been thinking about Nope. I would be happy to be wrong about Nope. I sure. Would be, that's yeah. important. I would, be, I would 100% because I, I like Jordan Peele. I think he's great. And I think he knows what he's doing. And so I would be happy to watch it and have it could be complete revelation the second time around. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I there are films. I'm trying to think of like, uh, to be perfectly honest, I think after discussion and second watching, like Matrix Resurrections was kind of that for me. Right. Like I fucking love that movie. It was on my top of the last year. Some people have told me I'm nuts, but I don't know. I I I really like what was done there, and I did not have that. And Jamie will tell you she she gets mad at me every time I say I like it now because she's like you you hated that, and I was like yeah in the moment, but then I thought about it a lot. Um, so yeah, no, totally get that. Uh, thank you, Jacob, for talking about second films. Jacob or also second chimes viewings. in there just really quickly with "Where is my episode on Columbus?" Yeah, and maybe that's a movie we could do, uh, which was the Cocognata one. Maybe we could do a whole episode about. You know, we talked about Cocognata with his uh, as a video essayist who became right. a filmmaker. Um, we keep mentioning it. He also mentions Nine Days, which we should do. So again, really appreciate the recommendations, and hopefully we'll get to it. Again, 
100% would recommend uh, Columbus, which is why Jacob is annoyed to me because annoyed with me because I keep recommending it without us having to ever talk about it. Yes. Well, um, either way, thank you, Jacob, for the email. So um, you can email us in. Hey, you listening to these emails? If you listen to those emails and you like hearing us talk to talk for other people talking to us, you could be that person that we talk for you on here with. And you can do that by emailing us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you're thinking about cinema or the films that we're talking about or just how your day is going. I'll read it. Matt, do uh, you think you people could also reach us on a dial-up rotary telephone? No, not yet, because <laughs> I have one more thing I want to talk about because this is breaking news, Shahir. Oh, shit. Breaking news as of two hours ago. Did oh, you hear? about? I know what this is about. Warner Brothers canceled the finished Batgirl film. <laughs> the $90 million Batgirl film starring Leslie Grace as Barbara Gordon, Brendan Fraser as Firefly, uh, and supposedly having Michael Keaton reprise his role as Batman. Mm-hmm. Canceled, shelved, gone. Yet, the Ezra Miller vehicle <laughs> of Flashpoint or The Flash or whatever is still slated to release despite the fact that man has become a walking nightmare. <laughs> like, how... Shahir has... like like. I guess maybe we are living in the sort of uh, golden age of media coverage, mm-hmm. like of of these kind of things. But like, this is high profile, expensive, and like, it's not like oh, I don't know, Warner Brothers doesn't have a whole fucking streaming service it could just dump something to. Yeah, like um, it has to be pretty fucking bad. And it, even so, like, I mean, look at what Netflix remember, releases. There's a by the way, there's a great Vanity Fair article, I believe, about uh, the release the Snyder Cut. Um, uh, movement, uh, yep. and it's a, it's a really great uh, recap of how that may have happened, including a sort of uh, reconfiguration of what we think actually may have gone on um, in that situation. Um, okay, uh, Batgirl. Take, set aside the fact. Listen, set aside the fact you don't give a shit about the property and you don't you don't care. Because I I I was looking forward to it because I do like the Batgirl stories and, and mythos, yeah. but like it wasn't like on my top ten. My shock is. The just shelving, like, even if it's bad, just put it on HBO Max. Like, you're still going to make more money than no money. And I get that they want to, like, do some universe building or whatever. But I thought that they were at this point kind of leaning into not doing that because it doesn't seem like it's their strong suit. Right. Like, and I like there's a shakeup over there. And I know since the Discovery acquisition, like, it's been weird. But, like, is there any other time in, in movie history from, from our time, I'll say, like, from the time we were paying attention to this, where, like... A movie just got entirely shelved and nobody cared about it? Yeah. Uh, I've definitely heard of it happen- happening. And what usually happens is the movie just gets released quietly. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of really good examples. There's, there's a famous Michael Madsen film, which made something like $12. Um, because they released it quietly uh, and, and forewalled it as part of the contract agreement. I would be surprised if there's no contract agreement with all of the talent involved or the directors or anything that means that that film will not see the light of day. However, with some of the reporting that's come out, again, fresh, so I could this could all be counteracted, is that from what I understand, um, that that people are so unhappy with the quality of that particular movie that they've decided that it's not worth pursuing. And this is uh, upended by a mandate that is coming from um, Warner Brothers as well to only fund 
uh, tentpole releases. Um, and so it, the, the movie has just fallen between the cracks. Uh, I feel bad for everybody involved who, you know, every movie is a miracle and it takes a lot of work to put that out. Um, the thing I was thinking, uh, very fun noises. The thing I was thinking about, though, this is my final thought on it. If they're learning almost the the right lesson from the Snyder Cut thing. Like, <laughs> Just like, let it go, man. Just well, let no, it go. No, like here's the thing. So what supposedly happened, bots or no, mm. right? There was a thing that didn't exist or wasn't great, and then uh, enough groundswell happened where they worked on it and they released it, right? Mm. Groundswell, air quotes. Yeah. Could they have seen that this movie is garbage, <laughs> said they're not releasing it, and kind of mean it, and just sort of see what the world does. And if they finally, like, if there's enough groundswell for something that probably wasn't going to have groundswell. Yeah. Like, to release it and then release it. Like, like if you want a way to get the grognards on board with a Batgirl movie. What is a grognard, just so I know? Uh, an old school nerd. Uh, <laughs> there are some uh, connotations of not particularly liking things that aren't cis white male. Though that's not all grognards. Uh, but it's just kind of a, it's kind of an old nerd, uh, um, uh, insult, I would say. Well, I, mean, I don't even know. I don't even know. Uh, if you're a grognard and you're proud of it, let emails in, only move podcast at gmail.com. But like, like what's going to get people that might not be on board for a Batgirl story? Because, the, you know, a totally not sexist person that wouldn't be on board for a Batgirl movie. Right. Um, uh, what might get them to be excited about it? Well, a fucking, a big big movie studio that hindered Zack Snyder's ability to make his story that now they're they're putting this behind bar no now I want it like there's anyway I don't think they're playing that game but I yeah. think there might be a side interesting thing right um uh that might be at play here so anyway and, and heck the this whole thing by the time this airs on Sunday might have changed but you'll be able to watch us in real time come to this conclusion uh and by watch I mean listen unless you have cameras in the house where Shahir is alone <laughs> that would be interesting to watch a feed of me just dancing around by myself yeah. um anyway Onto the movie, right? Onto the movie. Uh, we have dilly-dallied enough uh, uh, to to warrant a discussion of Scott Derrickson's uh, movie. Now, again, this is going to come into the... We're going to talk about the MCU in some relationship to this as well, because Scott Derrickson was obviously the director of Doctor Strange and was famously going to direct Doctor Strange 2 until he uh, departed for creative differences and opted to make this film instead. Matt, could you read us the description of what the film was that got made instead of Doctor Strange 2 by Scott Derrickson. Ah, uh, yes. The I Am Debur describes the black phone as, after being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. Ooh. Ooh, spooky. spooky. <laughs> 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 Great. That's it. Everyone, thanks so much for listening. <laughs> We're just like, that should be a tag on the, on the on the post. Baby. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, Sheer, do you want to go first? I went first last time. What did you think initially of the black phone? 
Okay. Uh, by the way, you're saying you're saying the black phone like Alison Wilmore's character from Get Out. By the way, I know. I, know. I would never date a black man. Yeah, um, I like. I'm. I'm I, I like. I, it's so fun. Because okay. Side note: the story of this is I didn't know it was called the black phone. Yeah. I. Uh, I. And if you look at the poster, it's really actually hard to see the word the. It's between the L and A and black. Right. And so like now I've just been like enamored with calling it the black phone. The black like, phone. <laughs> well, uh, I again was kind of primed to watch this movie in a way that was like terrifying to me which is that i'm alone in a house that is isolated from anywhere and i was thinking okay uh i I don't like the situation i am a big old scaredy cat um but you know like if if any movie is gonna give if i'm gonna give this movie the best shot this is the circumstances to give this movie one shot one opportunity (laughs) and i will say uh mom spaghetti did not uh work out in this case because i did find the movie um somewhat um, linear in its execution. Now, I think, again, there's a really great hook here, uh, which is this idea that there is this telephone in the place that this kid has been kidnapped that can that can talk to him and reveal the past or reveal how this person might get out of the situation. It is very odd to me that the central hook of the film feels almost incidental to the entire film. Like it does, I don't know if you felt this way, but there's there's a linearity to this film, which is that, well, these are the events that happened and here they are and they just happened. It and- feels very Stephen King, which is appropriate because Joe Hill, Stephen, Stephen King's, King's son, son. Uh, yep. is the writer of this. Uh, who I love, the original by the way, short story. Of the original short story. Yeah. Um, uh, Joe Hill, one of my absolute favorites, wrote my uh, probably my favorite comic book series ever, Lock and Key. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, made into a decent, pr- I, I get excited for Netflix series. Uh, right. There's one more season and then they're done. Then they're done. <laughs> then they're done. Um, right. Yeah. But, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, and there's obviously echoes of uh, the, the recent revival of Stranger Things, which is kind of like echoed the the Stephen King sort of old uh, small town kids in peril kind of uh, storylines. Um, there is uh, obviously for Scott Derrickson, who made his name with the exorcism of Emily Rose and uh, Sinister, which I think uh, some algorithm or some scientific study determined was one of the scariest films of all time. Yeah. I did not feel that way about Sinister, but but you know w- what have you. Um, uh, there, there, there's a lot going for this movie. And again, I, I also did want to see, you know, I like the idea that Scott Derrickson, um, you know, felt that Dr. Strange 2 was not going his way and not going the way he wanted to and was like, I want to make a passion film uh, in the way that I think, you know, like in the type of mold of films that I came up with, um, you know, and, and so I was, I was excited for that. I also, you know, Ethan Hawke has been on a run recently where he's been, he's really been talking about the process of making movies mm-hmm. through the process of making movies. And, yeah. and I think that's really, uh, really been fascinating. But to, suffice to say, it's not that none of this worked for me. I think the movie does what it sits what it sits out to do. There is just no greater meaning to this other than what occurs on screen. And I, I'm trying to do that without spoilers. Sure. But but the movies I thought about in comparison to this, and they, these are unfair comparisons because uh, one is excellent and one is terrible. That's my favorite uh, kind of comparison. <laughs> uh, the movie that I think is excellent in comparison to this is Prisoners. 
um, which is a movie that involves a child kidnapping, but that and involves actually many of the echoes of what is going on in this film, but does it in a way that twists and turns and captures our imaginations in terms of like, what is going on and how is this going to turn out? And what is happening next? Um, and, and although that film doesn't, you know, hints at a greater mythology behind the characters, we are also immediately captured by what is happening. There's a good thing that there's a very purposeful thing that happens in the black phone, which is that they don't allude to the past, the the bigger mythology uh, behind why the characters are doing the thing, why the phone is doing the thing it does, why another character has vision. There's a sort of allusion to it, but only very briefly. We We don't sort of get a bigger sense of it. And oddly in Prisoners, there's a thing which is that the film becomes greater than the sum of its parts. In The Black Phone, I don't feel the same way, which is that even though there's an allusion to the mythology, I don't feel like I want to know anymore, and I don't feel like any more really would have helped the story in any way. Mm. The other film that I was thinking about was Peter Jackson's The Lovely Bones, written by Alice Siebold, which is about uh, a, a, a young woman played by Shosa Ronan who is murdered and who goes to a version of heaven and meets other victims of the same from the same killer. And they, while they don't have the same sort of mechanic in this film, which is that they divide, you know, talk about uh, how to get back at the killer, there's this sort of um, sort of echo there. And 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 again. That film really doesn't work. It is a mess of a movie. Yeah. But I felt there was like a greater than the sum of its part effect to that movie, um, which is just odd about The Black Phone, which is uh, it's just it's kind of what it is. And it's done well, but it is what it is, if that makes sense. I've rambled for a while. Matt, how did you feel about the 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 telephone noir. Uh, you kind of brought up a really good point, and that is this the re- the reason why this feels like it's just a bunch of pieces is because that's what it is. It's a bunch of pieces, and all mm. the pieces are pretty cool. Mm. You got creepy, uh, honestly uh, iconic performance for a murder character, a la Freddy Krueger or something like that, from uh, Ethan Hawke's The Grabber with the movable face plates on the mask and the like, a bunch of other stuff playing it really great. You you have this phone that lets dead people talk to you. Uh, that's pretty cool. You have psychic children. You have that. That's pretty cool. Th- and you have a murder mystery or a kidnapping, and that's cool too, right? It's all these pieces. Yeah. But then the more pieces you stack on here, the more you are convinced that it is just a bunch of pieces and not a cohesive whole, and there are things that actively stop you from putting pieces together. Uh, one thing that threw me instantly is how the kids talked every kid talked like an adult right yeah and and the second she here i kid you not this is a minor spoiler for the first five minutes of the movie there's a scene where some kids are fighting and there's a circle around them and one kid flying roundhouse kicks another kid in the face (laughs) i didn't like that kid i thought that kid was no listen great But he's an action star. Right. And I'm like, oh, all the kids are kind of action stars. Right. But this is supposed to be a spooky movie that's scary because kids are getting kidnapped. But kids are fucking roundhouse kicking each other. Like, it sets up this weird stake. Like, the kid's supposed to be a badass and, like, powerful and whatever. And it's very, like, late 70s, early 80s version of, like, a power fantasy who's, like, the kid uh, who gets kidnapped's best friend who, like, tries to teach him, like, 
basically, I mean, this whole thing is like, gotta be man up. Like that's the that's the. I mean, because again, it's playing it's, off it's of a, these old. It's a M Night Shyamalan swing away, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Finney's got a Finney's got a man up, but the uh, the way that this goes, like, I could never be scared because the kids even the even the daughter who was awesome you know in a lot of weird ways the foul-mouthed Gwen played by Madeline McGraw yeah uh who I laughed at the Jesus what the fuck line because she prays to him first but like she was like touched because her mom was a psychic but then like her mom committed suicide kind of again that's getting into some minor spoilers that don't happen on screen and the father is abusive and like it's like there's too many things going on and like nothing is connected in mm. that way, again, it's pieces. Okay, so psychic daughter, cool. Son kidnapped, cool. Phone talk to dead people, cool. Uh, weird killer, cool. Uh, and kids that are basically uh, little mini Arnold Schwarzeneggers, uh, yeah. cool. <laughs> uh, but but that but all of those things, when you put them in the toy box and you realize that for tone or or whatever, all the amount of like seventies, late seventies style color grading and and filming techniques isn't gonna make it feel like a cohesive whole. Now that to be said, I didn't have a bad time watching it. Right. Um. But w- actively, when Jamie and I were watching it, like when something would happen, we'd be like, "Huh." <laughs> like it's not a ha ha. It's not a spooky thing. <laughs> it's just a, it's like a, huh. huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, sh- I, uh, there was a lot of this. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Like, 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 and I haven't had that in a while from a film. Yeah. Like, it, it had enough goodwill behind it where I could, like, get, th- like, the shocks of, the shock absorbing goodwill that I had for th- this movie set up sort of for itself made the, the, the ride smooth out. But you didn't think the road wasn't, like, pure gravel. Like, you knew it was there. It was like, <laughs> ah, well, we'll keep going. Can we talk? I, I think we should go into specific spoilers here because sure. I have a couple of things that just really. Felt like it didn't land to me. And I, and I want to use a piece of ancillary marketing um, to talk about how I felt about the movie. And I, I, ancillary. Um, so, and this was just a, one of the making of documentary, uh, you know, making of pieces that appears. And it was Ethan Hawke. And again, Ethan Hawke, uh, he's got his new documentary out, The Last Movie Star, about um, Paul Newman uh, and his wife, whose name escapes me now. Um, uh, and so Ethan Hawke, you know, again, for the last year, he, he was in uh, Moon Knight. Uh, we saw him in The Northman. We see him in this. I'm sure there's a couple other performances we've seen him in as well. He's been. I like that he's sort of everywhere. He's everywhere right now. And of course, there are all these great interviews with him that are talking about like uh, th- that are bridging the divide. You know, he's, he's even his daughter was in Stranger Things. His daughter he, was in Stranger with Things, was, yeah. and she she quoted a thing. I guess he she convinced him to do Moon Knight. I yep. guess that's the thing because she's like, yeah, just go play in the toy box. You don't have to like. Yeah. do anything and then and bail if you don't like it and he's got this sort of a way about him which is like yeah it's you know like it's fine to, it, I, it's fun to play in the toy box and he talks about you know like it, he wants to work with directors like Scott Derrickson um, and then he you know he even defe- you know like he's like yeah and also people like Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola should be able to criticize the MCU because these are the elder statements states people of the filmmaking community and they have an opinion and it's important that we listen to those opinions so he's like right he's 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 gliding you know, right down the knife's edge really brilliantly. I um, think he's great. Um, in a piece of ancillary marketing, he, t- he says this thing that really caught my attention because it encapsulated what I felt about the movie, which is that he said this thing uh, like, 
I always, he, he, his approach to making a movie is, I always want to be the lawyer for my characters, mm-hmm. which is that I always want to defend my characters, um, whether they're good or bad. And he talked about it in this movie, he was like, but this guy, you know, is just pure evil. And I don't know I, if I had a way to defend him in this movie. I think this is a guy that has just got some real past traumas that he's got to deal with. And uh, if he went to prison, the other prisoners would probably kill him. And and I, I got this sense as listening to Ethan Hawke. And he was like, but I really wanted to work with Scott Derrickson again, you know, because I'd worked with him on Sinister. And, you know, like where he didn't really have a handle on how to play this character, not because he's not a good enough actor or anything like that, but because the film isn't going to go there, you know, into a space that allows the conversation about like, the trauma that uh, Mason's character, uh, F- Finney, is experiencing at the hand of his father, Jeremy Davis, is an actor, again, I love seeing, um, versus what happened to the grabber. You know, like, there isn't, you know, despite that, it sort of has this sort of repeated familial motifs. Again, something like that we saw in Prisoners. Um, I mean, the problem is, yeah, that goes, again, there's a minor spoiler, too, but, like, you meet the grabber's brother. The grabber's brother. Who and is th- just, like, and for lack of a better term, I was comic gonna, I, relief yeah. And and like a coke head. I was gonna I was gonna say this as well, which is that the the the, the second James Ransom appears again, uh, unfortunately playing comic relief in a horror movie just like he did in it, um, it chapter two, um, the the second that he appears, is he so tonally incongruent? Well, it's not well, that he's totally no, he, incongruent. No, he's congruent. He's congruent with the detectives. Detective yeah. Wright and Detective Miller by Troy Root uh, Root Seal and uh, E. Roger M- uh, Mitchell, uh, like. They're like, I couldn't, so this is, this is the thing that got me too. Like, again, I go back to the kids being treated and acting and talking like adults. Yeah. The little girl, like, like not only are they like talking to the police because like they know and heard she had a dream, but like now she's their, she's their main source of information on a, on a child serial killer. Mm. Like, and like, they're just buying it whole hog and, and like. There's no amount of skepticism. Like everyone in this world kind of accepted that her mom was a psychic who killed herself. Yeah, <laughs> and like, it's, but it, like, it's very B movie kind of stuff, right? Like, it doesn't feel yeah. so. When the detectives and the brother named Max are on screen, like it feels like a real bad serial. Yeah, like, and it's fine, but like that, that to me and their minor interactions and like, you know, like. This is a weird thing to say, but that's where any tonal congruencies between Finney and his father and the grabber and his father were kind of lost for me. We never meet the grabber's father. It's never talked about. But like to have the family still involved and be around and be a a wackadoo cokehead in a weird way, like kind of ruined any tie to that storyline if we were trying to say anything about that. And I don't think it was. It's also played comically and and played like james ransom like plays it in a way um that is like funny right like me it's, it's before he dies yeah i mean again spoiler 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 yeah. but he's like oh you you want to know how i found you yeah like it's like no what the yeah, fuck yeah. It, it sort of plays off as funny and and it just it doesn't land and you know yeah like you said jeremy davis's character with his alcoholism and some it just the also what, Sorry, I got one more thing. Yeah, the, yeah, all ahead. the kids, the ghost kids that help them out throughout. Yeah. Which I kind of wish, side note, uh, the movie treated the black phone like maybe it was all in his head. Mm. And, yeah, it the, never, the, and it never did. Yeah. like, And, and the reason why, like, 
there's two ways that you know it's not. One, the way it's shot and how the ghosts sort of interact. And there's a cool way of like you hear them on the phone, but you see them on the corner of the frame or like whatever, right? Yeah. And the second thing is because the sister is psychic, in my opinion. Like yeah. you're already like, oh, well, like the family's touched, but like he's not. So like, is he here? Like what? Okay, whatever. But my point is he talks to different kids that uh, have been that have died. And to be honest, the conversations with the dead kids are some right. of the best writing that is very, very clever very in this good. entire very, thing. Very, very good. That, but some of the kids you've met. There's a kid he played baseball with in the beginning. There's another kid that they referenced was missing. There's his friend Robin. Yeah. And then there's one random kid who is like... Y- Gets a whole montage of his backstory, like the eighty, the the like the bully, but not the bully from the beginning right, right. that yeah, Robin yeah. beat up. Yeah. We get a whole sidetrack that's like half Gwen's dream and half flashback to the thing. But and we I'm don't like, quite know how he ended up in the house, right? Who the fuck <laughs> is this? No, no, like, I, like I, I presume he's just a kid that that the yeah, yeah, but, but like, but this is the thing. The two of the two of the murdered kids are natively built into the story and you get little vignettes of them before they're gone. The third one is someone, yeah, Yeah. we meet them. The third one is someone who is referenced by other kids. Yeah. This one is someone that none of us knew ever and have no tie with at all. Like that, like you can't even do the kid that we didn't even meet that people are referencing because like then Finney figures out his name based on the missing thing, like whatever. This is just like a, oh yeah, I heard about you too, said nothing, like no character had mentioned. And we go into like a five to 10 minute diatribe of this kid like beating up someone over a pinball game and then getting kicked out of a 7-Eleven. Like it, I was like, and I get it, like it was built around the clever writing of what the ghost was saying. Like yeah. I get it, it actually worked in two different scenes in different places to help give Gwen a, a clue. Yeah. But but again, it's a piece that didn't feel like it's like when you have a puzzle piece and you realize it fits into one of the four sides and you're like, oh, cool. And then you try to put the rest together. You're like, oh, well, I mean, if I punch it really hard, like maybe it'll fit. <laughs> like I don't know. That threw me. I was like, who the that's when it bucked me the hardest. I was like, I don't give a sh- You're going to introduce I, me to this fucking character two thirds through that I like don't care about. I, I like the mechanic that each of the kids that he is talking to gives him one part of a way that he will then overcome the ground. It's an escape room. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I like, I like that idea, but there's a logic to it that like also kind of doesn't work, which is that, the grabber doesn't re- like the grabber comes in and doesn't realize that the window guardrail has been pulled down. You know, the grabber comes in and like the the kid is like digging. You know, he's like Shawshank. You know, Shawshank in his way out of this house. And like the grabber never notices these sorts of things and like doesn't seem too concerned. It was the- kind of interesting because like there's a bathroom down a small hallway. Yeah, yeah. And what I thought what should have happened in my opinion was just make the hole he's digging like around the corner yeah. because you can easily see the carpet he put down yeah. like in the like <laughs> uh, whatever. But, well, Again, that's like horror escape mechanics that I can't really fault it for. What uh, I can fault it for is how none of these fucking pieces feel like they belong together. I liked the idea. I, I did like the idea that they all give him a little piece and sure. and, and that he uses all those pieces to in, eventually save himself from, from the situation. But then uh, like cut out the psychic sister. But like, the psychic sister out- doesn't like doesn't amount to much. That's my and, point. Yeah. So many pieces 
Yeah. The, the puzzle's already kind of done. Neither does the kind of the... I was expecting it to be like a Silence of the Lambs reference, you know, when they go to the house and it's not the house, but it's the house next door kind of thing. And, and you know, like, it just doesn't amount... To, it, none of the pieces add up to something bigger than what you are seeing on screen. At the end, when he kind of, like, when Finney, you know, talks to the girl next to him, I'm like, cool, okay, I guess that's an ending, but... You know, like, doesn't make... Well, he's a man now, so now he can talk to girls. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, it's dumb. You know, it's dumb. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a worn-out trope. Yeah. Again, I understand why um, they made this movie and, like, why specifically... I can see on paper that spe- would be a good idea. Why Scott Derrickson wanted to make this. This is a kind of a love letter to the films that he grew up with. That makes total sense. This movie feels like an older plot movie. Man up, learn how to fight protect yourself, get smart, you win. And it's like, cool. Oh, yeah, and by the way, uh, the rest of your trauma doesn't matter because you're a man now. Like, right. there, there's, like, there's, there's, it, it, it felt very dated both in in what the aesthetic they were trying to go for in, but oh, honestly, the story and the message. Yeah. Um, and there's not, it's not that, like, there's no room for that. I just am less interested in that now that I'm not, 12 <laughs> it 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 um you know and after the last uh, not the last horror movie we did but we did ty west's movie x um in or you know in the same way which which i also felt was a movie that just didn't amount to much by the end of it it sort of mm-hmm. had interesting ideas at the core of it but didn't amount to much by the way the trailer for um the prequel which they shot simultaneously is coming uh was released as well um I, I, it's just, yeah, it did. Like, I'm not mad at the movie, but I just, I can't really recommend it because I just don't think it amounts to much greater than what it pretends to be. Yeah, I'm going to say a nice thing. What's that? I liked the cinematography. Yeah, looks great. I, I thought it looked really good. I thought they, if, to have a movie take place in one space really like that, like, yeah. I, again, I, I feel like they did the best, like, they did a lot with what, what Limited was there. I feel like. There was always a sense of um, like the the for whatever reason the the room itself and sort of the surrounding house and town felt like a real spot like it it felt it had a lived in quality to it yeah that uh, I I think did a lot the cinematography went a long way for um, and the sound design uh, more than the sound editing I think uh, but the they just like the way that the phone ghosts talked. That the feeling of like having something on the other end of a line that you don't quite understand is always creepy as hell. Yeah. Um, but, but look, but. It, look, the whole thing doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. But there are nuggets of enjoyment, I think, to be had. I won't say like don't watch this. Well, actually, I will say this. I, you know, you had to pay money to rent it. Yeah. Uh, uh, don't do that. Wait I paid till it's. I bucks for it and I, I, you know. I, I wouldn't recommend anyone else to do I, I do Yeah, I wouldn't either. I yeah. think, you know, if it comes on a streaming service you're already paying for, I think, it, and if you like horror movies, I think it's a, it, there's, there's a bunch of, you know, it felt like a mediocre D&D game. <laughs> like, it, you could tell there was some, there was a lot of love put in and people were very excited. Yeah. But like, that excitement, I think, overran uh, exactly the structure of the thing. It's like when you're cooking and you put too many ingredients in your soup, right? And it then is no longer like chicken noodle soup. It's now like a weird fucking like 
thin goulash and you're like, uh, okay, I guess that's what we're having for dinner. That's what this movie feels. <laughs> I want to talk about two moments that I actually really liked. Sure. Um, the first one is when the uh, the grabber leaves the door open or leaves the door yeah. open. And someone calls him, uh, calls Finney and says, uh, I can't remember which kid it was that calls him, but says, don't go up the stairs. He's waiting for you. And yeah. then he will beat you merciless, mercilessly once you get up there. And then we and then we crawl up the stairs and we see the grabber sitting there shirtless. And he is, he is physically imposing. He's terrifying. Uh, with his mask off. You no, know, his mask is on. It's the frowny um, face with mask. With his mask on. I also really liked the idea that the mask was interchangeable. Yep. And he had different modes of mask. Um, I thought that was really cool. And then the, the second thing that I really liked, and it was just... What it was was a moment that reminded me of what I was missing from the movie, mm. which was when Finney realizes his plan. He, he's digging uh, through. He, he's broken through a wall uh, using a toilet bowl, and uh, he is in a fridge that uh, he realizes he can't open. And he breaks down and cries. And for the first time, I go, that's a kid who's Yeah, been that's the only time any crying. kid acts like a kid. Yeah, that's that, and like he cries like a kid. You know, like, and and it feels very like, shit, this kid is really feeling like he But then is. you know what? He just mans up and yeah. he gets through it. Be- because throughout the rest of the the, sequ- the, the the scenes where he's down there, he's very stoic. He's yeah. very like. He's an action star. He, he's, he's like, he seems to understand what is happening and how to respond to it. He's and- fucking Bruce Willis in Die Hard. <laughs> like. Yeah. And, and I, I just, I liked that moment when he breaks down and cries because I was like, that's a kid who is actually really scared right now. And I and it But then just it just rem- goes away. It, it it and and then when he, you know, eventually um I, I didn't un- I like I I under I appreciated that symbolically beating uh Ethan Hawke's character the grabber with the phone. Sure. Um is is symbolically how to end the film. He but also understand- snaps his neck with the phone cord. Yeah, but but like you had a you had that toilet cover, which you beat through, you know, you used to like pound through a wall. I feel like that's a better weapon, but maybe mechanics are wrong. And I, 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 I mean, I liked the visual of the, the tough kid, you know, like saying, you know, I, I thought that actually that choreography was quite yep. beautiful. Like the, you know, like raise it up. It's a faint. S- step back, step forward and then swing. I, and you know, like, and, and the phone, doing- does, you don't think the phone's going to hit as hard because yeah. you pack it. Like I see the, I see the mechanics of why that is. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Every time I get excited about this movie, I'm reminded like two or three other things. I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's it's yeah it's it's hard to really nail down what it is you're feeling because there are glimpses of things like the crying moment and etc and like yeah. I don't want you know I, I I want I want if we're gonna look if we're gonna show child kidnappings I I don't want them to act like Bruce Willis and Die Hard. Like right. it doesn't, it it feels tonally odd. Yeah. Uh, and for a brief moment, we got what it was, what it would be like to do that. And again, that's not that I just want to see people sad and scared, but like using that as like a different way to like maneuver around what you are doing, I think is more interesting than like, well, guess I'm going to learn to fight now. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just like okay, 
I, 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 I like a lot of the ideas. I just don't think it, I, I just don't think it's it's there's a tonality to this that is not quite working. And then there is a um, yeah, there's a, a, a very linear straight line. I, but to Gareth's email at the beginning, there's an ending to this film and it's a clear ending and it ends. Um, so, you know, that's got, <laughs> I'm like that Bill Murray character from Caddyshack, I think it was. So I got that going for me. Um, I mean, know. I guess it does end, but the only change is he's a man now. Like, <laughs> that's it. And no, like, but, but I, I, oh, I and the dad is like, sorry for beating him or whatever. Like they drop that fucking thing like a pile of bricks. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's it, fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine. You, you know, in, in relation to how much I spent for the movie, I almost, I was like, um, because I had a couple of days to watch the movie. And so I had the choice of like renting it for nineteen ninety nine or buying it for twenty four ninety nine. You know, and my thought was, if I spend five dollars more, there won't be the time pressure to get it done in the next day. I can wait if I start it, uh, what have you. Um, if if this is any indication of how I felt about the film, I'm glad I didn't spend the extra yeah, five. Yeah, I mean that's what it is. That's yeah. You know, like I'm glad I didn't spend the extra five dollars. Uh, not you know, look, I have accepted in my life that. Paying for movies is something I do, and I'm like, and you know, a lot of skilled people worked on this thing. Yeah, so get them paid. Yeah. Uh, but everyone's yeah. getting everyone's getting their money. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. I don't have much else to talk about about this movie. Like I wa- I thought I'd have more, but like I think I think I've kind of nailed down my problem. The things I kind of liked, but it wasn't enough to save it. And uh, yeah, I would recommend waiting to see this uh, when it is on a more freemium streaming service. <laughs> I am I am genuinely surprised by the amount of people that actually loved it, though. It so is, I know, it, like, get friend of the show Will Temper loved it. Yeah, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure Will. You can email us and tell me I'm wrong. Um, yeah, a lot of people really, really dug it, and I think it's because the pieces are cool. Yeah, it uh, just did like the robot lions are awesome, but they didn't make Voltron this time. Like it just <laughs> it just didn't happen. It's like you were stuck with the yellow uh, foot vault uh, vo- foot yeah. lion for the entire movie. Yeah, and <laughs> and and. Like, and <laughs> and also a battle toad and a Power Ranger and a Ninja Turtle. Like, they're all in the same ilk and maybe could work together, but it's not going to be as compelling as a story unless you, you know, you this, got them This all. was like, you know, uh, a measure of the, the tomato meter. It was 83% with I know. Critics, 89% with audiences. They were like, everyone liked it, except us, as it turned yeah, out. I mean, again, I, you know what, though? This is the thing, and this is weird. I didn't dislike it. Right. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, hey everyone, this has been the only podcast about the film The Black Phone. Uh, Shahir, when you are not cowering in your in your hillside manor waiting for a uh, darkened telephone device to ring creepily, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me wondering the, the, the perennial question, do the hills have eyes? At my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are uh, summoning the ghosts of our reviews past, uh, where can people find you? You can find me asking the hard-hitting questions to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, like, what the fuck, over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram, or P-S-N, if you want to play some video games, or, or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Hmm. Also, please check out the good works we're doing over next credits. I believe by the time this drops, we will have completed our uh, Kings of Solomon uh, Ethiopian Empire series with a sixth episode on the Battle of Adwa 
which is uh, one of the first times that uh, an African nation fucking trounced a colonial power. And it's real fucking good. Like, it's, I don't know. Check out that episode. It's one of my favorite of the series. Um, Yeah. And uh, I guess that's it. Next week, maybe we do some bullet train. Maybe we do some prey. (laughs) Maybe we do some Eric Roma films. Maybe, you know? (laughs) Maybe we do Columbus. Oh, we're breaking up. Bullet train. (laughs) Talk to you later. Bye, everyone. Matt just told me how to record a podcast.